Okay, so last week, as we finished off, we went through a number of items looking to the very beginnings of Mass. We went over some of the prayers of preparation or those consecration prayers that the priest, deacon, and subdeacon all do to prepare their mind and their body and their soul to go before God. And if you remember correctly, a lot of those prayers that we prayed are very similar to the prayers, the suggested prayers out of different prayer books that I handed out to all of you a few weeks ago to prepare your own hearts, your souls, and your minds to go before God to begin the ascension up the mountain as we go to meet with God. We also went over the fact that the Mass begins. The Mass begins with praise coming from God's people by the way of the hymn. And one of the things that I challenged you to do is when we sing the hymn, and I know that there's a lot of things going on, But when we sing the hymn, it's so important to attach ourselves to the words of the hymn. If not, it might as well be a campfire thing. The hymn is designed to lift up the voice and your very soul in the praise of God and to express a specific praise to God. So when we look at the words of the hymn, number one, just by noting the words of the hymn, if you are struggling to get to a place of praise, those very words can remind you of something of your God and lift your heart. And then we collectively lift that offering of song up to God. And that's how the Mass begins. And finally, last week, we ended with a teaching about the procession. And in the procession, we remembered that when we see the procession coming forward, we don't look and say, oh, there they go to the altar. We look at the procession and we say, here we go. We now go together to the altar. And I mentioned to you that in the early church, the entire parish came into the church at the same time, led by the priest, led by those in that procession, and everyone came in to go and meet with their God. That's the image of the procession. And finally, within the procession, we also broke down every part of the procession because there is a possibility of your heart being reminded of something lifted in praise, you being reminded of something of God, something of yourself as a child of the King of Kings when we look at the cross, when we look at the two torches, when we look at the incense that goes up. So if you didn't hear, by the way, please remember, if you did not hear some of these teachings, they are all online. And I'm updating them very actively when we're done with this. So if you didn't hear last week's teaching or any of them, they are on our website. Okay? So here we come today. The hymn has taken place. The procession has taken place in the Mass. The next thing that occurs is the confidior prayers. Another another, uh, way that the confidior prayers are described are the prayers before the altar. And I want you to turn and keep the place. It's actually on the first page to your left. It says page 14. These are going to be a little out of order, these pages, because I didn't do the entire pew missile that we have. But I've got a lot of the stuff that we're going to be using in discussing the Mass. So it says page 14, but the confidior prayers are there for you. Now the word confidior means a prayer of confession. That's what this is. So what the priest 
and all serving at the altar do before they dare approach the altar is to continue by the grace of the Holy Spirit to consecrate themselves, uniting themselves to the God who is holy and scraping off by the Holy Spirit all those things that are not. It is another act of consecration, separating ourselves for holy use, that is done through the Confidior prayers. The first line of the Confidior prayers demonstrates why we take note to consecrate ourselves. It says, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I will go unto the altar of God, even unto the God of my joy and gladness. In fact, the statement says everything again, reminding us of the very framework of the Mass that's still on this whiteboard that we've been discussing. It is both the call by God to meet with Him and the statement of determination that we make. I will go unto the altar of God, even unto the God of my joy and gladness. I will go unto the altar of God parallels Isaiah's statement that I read to you in the first week that I taught this. When Isaiah says, come, let us do what? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. In the Confidior prayers, the very first line, the priest is echoing this on behalf of all, even though he is saying this for himself. I will go unto the altar of God. But let's understand what I and any priest that mouths those words understands when he says them. Yes, we do in our church. We have a physical altar, right? So when we say, I will go up to the altar of God, one might think that we're speaking of the physical altar that is there in the sanctuary. The reality is that's not true. That is not the altar to which I'm speaking of or any celebrant is saying. When I say, I let... <clears throat> excuse me. When I say, I will go unto the altar of God... Ultimately, I am speaking of the altar in heaven. Because in the Mass, the one body of Christ worships God in heaven and on earth. We have a physical representation of the altar, just like in the Old Testament. The temple had a physical altar, but it wasn't the eternal one. It pointed to the eternal one where the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place on behalf of all. In fact, let me read to you about that eternal altar. And this is the altar that we speak of when we say, I will go into the altar of God from Revelation in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar... He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. 
That is the eternal altar. That is the eternal scene of worship. It is mirrored in physical examples by what we are given. We have that incense and we've talked about it. But the incense is something we should see through, even though we experience it with our senses, for God has given us these things to see and touch and smell and hear, so that we might experience the heavenly in our humanity. That's how loving He is. That He wants to express Himself to us in such physical ways that we can comprehend so that as we see those things and we encounter grace in the sight of them, our souls are lifted beyond our humanity and we join with heaven and earth and all of a sudden we're beholding an altar in heaven that was just described to you in Revelation and chapter 8. Again, God gives us the physical to see through it, just like the iconography. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. So that's the way the Confidior prayers begin. I will go unto that altar of God. And in light of this, I want you all to know, and most priests that I know that I'm good friends with would tell you the same thing. When I pray the Confidior prayers, and when I begin with I will go unto the altar of God, I am well aware of where I'm going, and I'm well aware of who I'm going before. Because I don't just say I will go unto the altar of God. Even the God of my joy and gladness is who I present myself to. As do we all in our ascension to meet with Him. The next portion of the Confidior prayers is simply our praying Psalm 43 in its entirety. Give sentence with me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people. O deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man. For Thou art the God of my strength. Why hast Thou put me from Thee, and why go I so heavily while the enemy oppresseth me? O send out Thy light and Thy truth that they may lead me, and bring me unto Thy holy hill and to Thy dwelling, that I may go unto the altar of God, even the God of my joy and gladness, and upon the harp will I give thanks unto Thee, O God, my God. Why art Thou so heavy, O my soul? Why art thou so disquieted within me? O put thy trust in God, for I will yet give him thanks, which is the help of my countenance and my God. That is Psalm 43. But I want to break apart the three different sections so that you understand why this is part of our preparatory prayer and what we're praying, because we're not taught to read the Psalms. What does the church teach us? To pray the Psalms. If we will learn to pray the Psalms, we will learn to pray and get our humanity out of the way and join ourselves to God so that we commune with Him. So we pray the Psalms. So there are three things that are going on in this Psalm that I want to point out to you. The first is this. There is the theme where the heart cries out for the defense by God and deliverance by God. The priest and all who will serve at the altar are crying out for God's defense of us and deliverance from all that would ruin our souls. 
Lord, be my defense. Be my stronghold. Deliver me from those who seek evil. Deliver me from those very things in me that cause evil. Deliver me from the demonic that seeks the ruin of my soul. For Thou art the God of my strength. That's the idea. And then we have a second plea that's lifted up in the Confidior prayers. And I love this because I take great comfort in calling out for this when it's prayed. We pray, send out thy light and thy, and thy truth that they may lead me and bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. We are praying in that moment the honest and authentic prayer that acknowledges, Lord, for this great ascension that we all are going to make, but for this great ascension to such an eternal holy place and to stand before You, I have to have Your grace to get there. My humanity can't make the climb. I need You to worship You. I need Your grace even to receive life from You. Send out Thy light and Thy truth that they may lead me and bring me. Saying, God, bring me, is what we're praying. God, bring me unto Thy holy hill. That's what the psalmist is praying. That's what we're praying. And finally in this psalm, we have that great wrestling that David does both in Psalm 43 and in Psalm 45 that I gave you two weeks ago as part of your own wrestling. I want you to hear his wrestling to turn his face to God when David says, Why art thou so heavy, O my soul? And why art thou so disquieted within me? then He works to change His mind. He works with the energies of God to take His face off of His woe-is-me circumstances, placing them on the God who is the only God of hope who can help Him through the circumstances. So He says, Oh, put thy trust in God, speaking to Himself, for I will yet give Him thanks, which is the help of my countenance and my God. We must work, all of us must work with the grace, the energies of God Himself freely offered to us to set aside all of those earthly and finite cares and desires and to put our hope and our focus upon God that we might yet give Him thanks. And I want to pause for just a moment because remember what the title of this whole series is. The Mass and our life in Christ. Everything we do in the Mass by grace is intended by God if we will join Him to transform us into patterns of righteous living. Righteous and holy living. So if we wrestle there, the altar servers and the priest... And the prayers that you guys do that we've talked about. If we wrestle in our hearts before we begin our ascension. And we bring and allow for the grace of the God that that is in every moment. Just perhaps on Monday morning. When woe is me circumstances and they come. And they're harsh. 
when we are faced with them, perhaps by grace we have been moved to ever so much quickly turn, begin to work with the energy of God in our life to turn our face back to Him so that we might be postured at the very beginning of the day from where He stands, which is above all and in all to see us through all, right? Now, in the Confidior prayers, once we get past this, we are now at a point where the priest and all of those others serving at the altar that day will do general confession. This is their confession time. Just like you guys have a general confession time in the Mass. Okay? We do our general confession, and you can see it written there. Okay, we do it every time, and we are confessing. I'm confessing my sins before God, but... Notice the words. I want you to see this. I want you to know why it's worded this way. I confess to God Almighty. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. I'm going to tell you why before we go into the rest of it. Because, do you remember I spoke in a homily a little while ago about the fact that there is no such thing as just personal sin in the body of Christ? That if we are one, if we believe that upon our baptism we have been engrafted into the one body of Christ that is one with God, then my sin is not just my sin. And my sin doesn't just impact and affect my soul. We are that one in reality. So the confession doesn't just say, I'm confessing to God, because I haven't just sinned against God. I've sinned against all who are joined to Him. And so look at the words, I confess to God Almighty, to blessed Mary, ever virgin, to blessed Michael the archangel, to blessed John the Baptist, and I go on and on and on. It's the acknowledgement that my sin has affected all. And I humbly ask for pardon from God and my brother and sister in Christ. That's why that confession is done like that. And so the priest offers his confession and the the altar servers respond. Sandy, read that response for me. I just put my book down. Um, Just after the confession, the, the... God Almighty, have mercy upon me that one? Yeah, read it. God Almighty, have mercy upon me. Forgive thee thy sins and bring thee to everlasting life. Right. Now in a minute we're going to get absolution from God, that sacramental absolution. But before that, I have confessed to the body of Christ and to God. This is the body of Christ saying, God, have mercy on you. God, we pray that for you. You see? So we are receiving forgiveness from the body and our Lord who are joined as one. Okay? Then, in turn, all of the other altar servers now confess to God and to the priest. I've confessed to them and to God, and now they return with their own. And we finish off with that confessional prayer. So it is prayer. It absolutely is corporate prayer. It's corporate pardon. It's corporate forgiveness. But don't remember this. Every part of corporate is a bunch of individual stones. Right. So it's also individual, isn't it? It's both. You're, you're, you're dead on. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we're asking ourselves, in reality, to forgive us 
We're asking one. No, we're asking that if it's for you, as you would pray that, you, you're asking, you're going before God and His body. And you're asking for the body, you know, forgive me, because your sin, remember, has impacted the rest of us. That's why these prayers are not separated. These prayers of confession are together. And when we do, those of you who have done the sacrament of confession with me, the sacrament of confession goes the same way. Yes, you're speaking of all your individual sins, longing for healing from them and grace to overcome. But you do acknowledge, look, my sin affects my wife. I promise you that. I'm glad she's not in here right now. My sin impacts my children. My sin impacts my parish. And your sin impacts your priests and one another. We're that one. We are that one. So now we have received the absolution, which you see, I'm not going to read that, we hear that all the time, but we've received the absolution from God and peace from one another is restored. At this point, the final pleas are lifted up in the Confidior prayer. Wilt thou not turn again and quicken us, O God, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Here's what we're praying. We are pleading with God to breathe life back into us. That's what quicken means, right? Wilt thou not turn again and breathe life back into us, O God? Why? So that now that we've received forgiveness... Now that you've breathed, cleansed us, renewed us with your Holy Spirit, you breathe life in us, and now we may rejoice in thee over such an incredibly unearned act. I'm free to rejoice. Okay? O Lord, show thy mercy upon us and grant us thy salvation. O Lord, hear my prayer and let my cry come unto thee. And the final statement. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. We let that prayer in Mass roll off our tongues way too easy sometimes. Did you hear what I just said and to the people and what they just said to me? Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And you respond, and with thy spirit. Because again, We're still in ways in this preparation stage, even within Mass. And if I do not have Yahweh with me, the God of my God with me, and all of His grace, and if you don't, this is irrelevant. We'll never get there. I have to have my God to assist me in getting to Him, clearing off everything that needs to be cleared off, so that when we get to the Eucharist, Lord, I am with You. You fill me with Yourself with that great gift. Next time we say, The Lord be with you, and you respond, and with Thy Spirit, think about what You're offering me and what I'm offering You and praying for You. And be filled with God. Be filled with God. And that concludes the confidior prayers that the priest and the altar servers do. And so now we we move again to another stage, uh, almost I would consider it one of the final stages of consecration, and that is the asperges. Okay? The asperges, if you will turn the page, it says on the bottom, page 11, and over to the right you see the vidiaquam. 
The Asperges is done all year in the liturgical life of the church, except when? Eastertide. Only during Eastertide, which is the Easter season between Easter and Pentecost, do we do the Vidya Quam. But we're going to look at both because it's incredibly important that you see what this is, what it comes from, and the Lord's activity amongst you in the Asperges. Now the Asperges, the word Asperges, literally means the first line of what we sing. It means, thou shalt purge me. That's what the word Asperges means. Thou shalt purge me. And we sing together. Thou shalt purge me, O Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Have mercy upon me, O God, after Thy great goodness. These words sung during Asperges are taken directly from Psalm 51. But let's take a look. I'm not just going to go over that, the, the, Thou shalt purge me, O Lord, with hyssop. I want you to get the context of Psalm 51 that it falls in. So let me read you a little bit. In Psalm 51, the psalmist writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. In Asperges, we are asking for the continued cleansing that began with what? Our baptism. When we were washed clean in the waters of baptism, all past sins were blotted out. Now, since I know you, I happen to know that since your baptism, you've sinned. I just, I'm just saying, don't be mad at me. It's true. And so we are given this great grace in this moment to not be rebaptized. There's one baptism. But to bring the, the same grace that was there in the moments of our baptism into the moment of Asperges. While we sing, Thou shalt purge me with hyssop, O Lord, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Knowing we need this continual washing... We continue later in Psalm 51 to hear David write, Create in me a clean heart. We know this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation, excuse me, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And so the actual words of Asperges are in verse 7. Again, thou shalt purge me. But you got to get the whole thing. You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, and He prays straight from the Psalms, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't say the rest of it. He didn't say the rest of it. 
If you read that psalm, it's a psalm of great praise. He's on the cross, and in the midst of that psalm, find that psalm. I didn't look up the number. I don't remember what number it is. What's that? 23. Psalm 20. No, Psalm 23 is the... Is, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll find it for you and get it out to you in an email. But it's a psalm of great praise. And here in the same way, we are saying one portion of a psalm that has great meaning as to God's grace-filled activity among us in that moment. Now, I want you to understand where David gets this expression that he uses regarding purging with hyssop that he uses here in the psalm. It comes from a number of things. One is the Old Testament sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Covenant, in the book of Exodus... God commands so that people and families may be freed from their sins. He commands that that sacrifice take place in a certain way. Sandy, don't worry about it right now, dear. Sandy, it's okay, I'll find it later. Psalm 22. All right, very good. Psalm 22, homework, go read it. Uh, In the Old Covenant, the sacrifice was to be done like this at the altar of sacrifice. The animal, and there are a number of different animals that could be used for this sacrifice for the sin offering. The animal was sacrificed right there at the altar of the bloodshed. Then the priest would take a bunch of hyssop and he would dip it in the blood of the sacrificed animal and he would sprinkle the entire altar with that blood from the hyssop that had been joined to the hyssop. And through this sacrificial act of the people and the priest and God, the person or family was cleansed, washed of their sins. That act goes back even further to Passover. When Passover occurred, remember the angel of death was going to be sent on all firstborn children in Egypt out of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart? And what did God tell the people to do? He said, sacrifice, take hyssop, dip it in the blood, and put that blood on the post and lintel of the doors, and the angel of death shall pass over you. And so we, still being in the preparation stage of Mass, ask our Lord to purge us, grace us, make us clean by His mercy, that we may approach that great throne in heaven in these moments. But we ask trusting in this. That prayer, purge me, that prayer is exactly what the heart of God wants to do. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to set you free from the bondage of shame. He wants to grace you to go and sin no more. That's the nature of God. And so we ask Accordingly, and so we yes. Hyssop. Hyssop is a uh, help. Hmm. It, it's, it's an herb. It's in the mint family. So yeah. Rosemary. That's a good. Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked that. So think of it as a bunch of, of herb gotcha. that they would dip in and it would collect and they would sprinkle. It's, it's, a, it's a little more floral than what I've heard. Actually, yeah. Actually, wash and cleanse. But yeah. It's, it's oh. right. <laughs> right. It has a little white flower. Okay. That's right. That's right. It is, it, is, it is, that's right. Very good. So once we say, Thou shalt purge me, O Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
we need to prepare to rejoice. Because those who have come, led by the Holy Spirit into such repentance to pray such a thing, hungering and thirsting for God and aware of our own imperfections, those are the ones that will be cleansed in that moment and will sense it, you will know it, for God's activity will be in you and through you. Now, that's Asperges. I noted that we do something different during Eastertide. And that is the Vidya Quam. Okay, look at that. That's on the next page over. The Vidya Quam. Now again, those words mean the first words of what we say. And instead of singing, Thou shalt purge me, the Asperges, during Eastertide, that's the whole Easter season, we start off with, I beheld water. Vidya Quam. And the words we sing are, I beheld water which proceeded from the temple on the right side thereof. Alleluia. And all they to whom that water came were healed, every one. And they say, Alleluia, Alleluia. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is gracious, and His mercy endureth forever. That which we sing at Bidiaquam, it starts, originates in Ezekiel chapter 47. It is fulfilled here on earth in the second chapter of Acts and beyond. And we see the absolute fulfillment in Revelation in chapter 22. And I want us to look at those. I read to you from Ezekiel chapter 47. The prophet Ezekiel writes, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live." There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the water goes. Everywhere this river that flows from the temple goes, things go from corruption to incorruption. Everywhere the water that flows from the temple goes, heals, overcomes death, washes clean, renews, makes new. This is fulfilled in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all men. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. Washed clean. Once again joined to God as Adam was in the garden so that we might be transformed into His likeness through that relationship. And in Revelation chapter 22, we find this as well. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of its street and on the other side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, the apostles. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Both the Spurges and the Videoquam end with this prayer. 
Let us pray. Graciously hear us, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God, and vouchsafe to send Thy holy angel from heaven to guard and cherish, to protect and visit, and to defend all who dwell in this Thy holy habitation through Christ our Lord. In Asperges, we plead for the cleansing work of God, and we are showered with holy water, and holy water is baptismal water. The grace of God can be experienced towards your healing in that. During the video qualm, we celebrate upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, the water now going from the temple by the Holy Spirit, and everywhere that water goes, in me, through me, all around me, life is restored. Even in my own life, corruption transformed to incorruption. How can we not, if we know these things, and not only know these things, but in faith offer them to God in our thoughts and actions, expecting, anticipating God's desire to give us grace to experience them, not for play, not just to do motions, but to experience God to the healing of our souls, our binding together as the body of Christ, and to be the expression of the kingdom of God in heaven and on earth, just as we pray when the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done where? On earth. As it, exactly as it is. There should be no difference. You see. On earth, as it is in heaven. And we conclude the prayer, both Asperges and the video qualm, with that great prayer, not only asking God to be our defense, but send your holy angel from heaven. Everything heaven has to offer to defend and grace and ensure our ascent to go and meet with God to be with Him, to receive the life that He longs to give. And don't you think for a minute that God does not honor that prayer because He wants to draw us to Himself. He wants us to experience Him and He wants us transformed forever by the touch.